Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Some years ago, I read about a couple in Philly who was celebrating their 80th anniversary, their 80th wedding anniversary. This is not their 80th birthday. This is their 80th wedding anniversary. The names were uh, Mitchell and Maddie Atkins. And... Uh, they, they attended Deliverance Evangelistic Church in North Philly, so not that far away. And they were asked for the secrets of their marriage. Like, how, how did you make it so far? How did you run this marathon for, for 80 years? And so Maddie, the wife, she said, the key to marital success is to treat your husband like you want him to treat you and make sure you have two rolling pins. Keep one on his head and the other to roll out the dough. Okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I like that idea, but anyway, I like the dough part. But anyway, and, and nothing, they both said, is more important than prayer, love, and unity. That and a little kissing on the sofa when the children aren't around. And this is Mitchell's line here. She'd sit in my lap, sit right here, and kiss and go on, he said. I mean, that's... That's what he said, 80 years, right there. And then the last thing was, love, love, love each other, she added. It's beautiful, beautiful to be old and still be in love at our age. They were married in 1930, 80, 80 plus years of, of marriage. So, so kissing, prayer, love, unity, a perfect lead-in to this final message in this series on marriage, looking at marriage as a marathon and not a sprint. So I want to just get an idea even here this morning of how we're doing with the, the marathon thing. So I, I just want to do a little poll here for, for hands up. How many have been married longer than 10 years, 10 years or longer? Okay, so hands up. Okay, keep your hands up. 15 years or longer. 20, 25, and two days we got. Um, 30, 30 years or longer. 35, 40. I feel like an auctioneer. 40, 40. Okay, we've still got hands up. 45. All right, now look around. We're, we're getting to the marathon here. 50. Years. Okay, we've got some, some golden ones here. 55, 60, still got some hands up here. 60, 65. All right, well, we got to figure out it's somewhere between 60 and 65. Nobody's hands are still up, right? So over 60. So 60, 62, 61. All right, okay, all right. So, man, this is like you guys are in a dead heat here. All right, so. Um, 60, and I'm sorry we can't do this with you guys online, but 60, what, what are you guys? 60, how many years? 64. Oh, 64. How about you guys? 63. 63, okay. The, you guys got, got them beat. All right, so this is uh, a gift for, for Bob and Carol there. 
Um, that takes special care, just like your, your marriage uh, takes. But congratulations, 64 years. Man, that is fantastic. Um, but I, as I'm sure Bob and Carol can testify, and any of the rest of us who are, are in this race, most of the marathon is not the milestones. Most of the marathon is not the fun stuff. Most of the marathon is putting one foot in front of the other over and over again. And it is really easy along the way to become weary, uh, to become bored sometimes. And, and the question that we want to talk about this morning is, how do we keep love from getting buried under bills and diapers and hurts? God gives us something very specific to invest into our marriage. And the good news for you is we, we all know we know how to do this already. It comes very naturally early on, but it takes supernatural power for the long haul. That's what we're going to talk about here this morning. If you take a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. And I just want to remind you, I know not everyone here this morning is married, not everyone watching online is married, and I just want to remind you that everything we have talked about here this month and what we're going to talk about here this morning is applicable to all of us in the sense that we we all are married in the sense if we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if we have come to faith in Christ, then we are part of his bride. He is our, our groom. And so there's a bigger narrative going on as we talk about marriage, and all of us have the opportunity to participate in that. And so we've talked about major topics this month. We talked about character as the foundation piece for us. If, if you want to train for the marriage marathon, then the best way to do that is to strengthen your core, to strengthen your character, to cultivate Living a life that is pleasing to the Lord, that's going to position you in the best possible way to be ready for, for marriage. The second week, we talked about covenant versus contract. A contract says, if you do this, then I will stay with you. A covenant says, I will be with you regardless of what life brings us. And then last week, we talked about what do we do when we hit the wall? What do we do when our, when our spiritual muscles have burned up all the glycogen? And we said we, we've got to be filled, we've got to be refilled and filled with the Spirit and asking Him to displace everything that is not of Him. So today we're going to end with something very practical. And you're going to get a chance to hear from my marathon partner just a little bit later uh, in, in the message. So we're going to start where we left off last week which is the idea that God is the one who fills our, our tank. We, we get the same concept here in Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Okay, so I'm going to pause there. I, obviously, we're stopping in the middle of a sentence. Uh, there's more to come here. But I, I just want to point out, Everything in verse 1 here is about our relationship with God. It's all talking about a, a real vital relationship with God. It's not talking about going to church or going through motions or doing things that we think God wants us to do. This is about having a close-knit 
relationship, personal relationship with God. So when we, when we do, we experience encouragement in Christ. We experience comfort from his love. We experience participation, or another way to translate that word is fellowship with the Spirit. And we experience affection and sympathy. Man, these, these are the things that you and I desperately need in the broken world in which we live. Amen? I mean, we, we need these. Outside of marriage, just, just in life, we need all of these things. And God is a never-ending source of love, comfort, encouragement. And so we get filled up by those things. And what we get filled up with in our vertical relationship with God then flows into the horizontal. Verse 2. Complete my joy then by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So, so you hear that theme, there's a theme that gets repeated here. Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. There's unity. It's talking about, about unity. When we are filled up with God's love, when we are connected well to our Father in heaven, to Christ, to the Spirit, that's going to overflow in unity among us. But we, we, whether that's among us in a church family, whether that's among us in a family, whether that's among us in a marriage relationship. Problem is, we don't always do a great job of getting filled up with God's love, and then we end up in disunity. So a year ago, we, we actually looked at this same passage, and we looked at it and applied it to masks. And, and the whole idea of saying, let's, let's lay down our rights, that I have a right that I don't have to wear a mask, but let's, let's lay down that right, and let's actually pick up a mask and say, we want to do that for the sake of others. If not for our own sake, let's do it for the sake of others. So we applied it that way back then, serving others in that way. Today, we're applying it to marriage. So what do we do when we don't experience unity in our marriages? Well, I'm glad you asked because the passage goes on to, to answer that question. And it, and it drills down into two statements that say, don't do this, but do do this. So if you've ever seen a diet book that does that, don't eat this, but eat this instead, that's kind of what we've got here as we read on in verses 3 and 4. So do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, so don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So in a nutshell, don't be selfish. Don't be selfish, but look out as we're applying it today for marriages, look out for your spouse's interest. This probably never happens for you, but sometimes for me, my, my inner two-year-old surfaces. And my inner two-year-old surfaces and says, I want my way. Like, I, I want what I want right now. We, I had this, we had a conversation recently where this happened about the, the blinds in our kitchen. Okay, so this is a good example of how like a really silly thing can become a, a big thing. So we have a really a, a big window in our kitchen, and Sherry really likes at night for us to to put the blinds down because she feels like she's in a fishbowl. 
because she feels like, you know, the lights are on in the house and it's dark outside. And the people down, you know, our neighbors, we, we kind of sit up a little bit from our neighbors. And so they can look up the hill and they can look in our window. And then there's a, a, a road and a walk where people can. And she's just she's like, I just don't want people looking in at me. Now, my point is that, like, I don't like putting the blinds down because I get up first in the morning and that window lets in a lot of light. And so I want to come down in the morning in the kitchen. I just want the sun like flooding in. So I'm like, do we really have to put the blind? I mean, do we really have to put the blinds down? I mean, really, are these people looking up at us? I mean, if they're looking up at us, then they've got really sorry, boring lives because we, we are really boring people. And we're especially boring in the kitchen. And so it's like, I don't know why anybody would really be observing us. So anyway, we kind of had this back and forth. And she's like, well, this is why I want to put them down. I'm like, well, this is why I want to leave them up. And finally, so my two-year-old is surfacing. And so finally, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I just need to get up in the morning and put the blinds up, you know. That's, that's the solution. You know, we'll put them down at night. And so she feels better. And then I'll get up in the morning. I'll just, just put them up. There we go. I mean, this is, this is very, really basic, but, and so you, you all are staring at me like nothing like this has ever happened to you. So I, anyway, I'm sorry. I guess this isn't applicable. But anyway, uh, I find at least that I need to look to the interests of my spouse at times. I, in humility, I need to count her more significant than myself. And this was modeled so powerfully by Jesus for us as we read on in verse 5 have have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus i'm so happy that verse is there because i don't have that mind in and of myself but i have this mind to put others first in Christ Jesus verse 6 who this is the example he set for us though he was in the form of god did not count that equality with god a thing to be grasped But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, instead of being selfish, Instead of grasping hold of what was rightfully is. We're, we're usually grasping hold of things that really aren't even our right. But he was, he, he, instead of grasping hold of his godhood, laid that aside to come and to live among us and to become a servant. To die and take on our sin so that he could give us a clean slate. We sang about that earlier. If you're here this morning... And you have never embraced the forgiveness of Christ. Today's, today's your day. Today's your day to say, Jesus, I've, I've made a mess of my life and I can't clean it up. And I need your sacrifice that, that you made, that you did by dying on a cross for me. I need you to wash me clean. Take my sin from me. That's the most important decision you can make for any part of your life, including your, your marriage. That's, that's more important than the person you marry. It's more important than any counseling you get. The most important decision you can make is to follow Jesus Christ so he can change your heart and make you someone who can love your spouse 
well. So we, we serve, following Jesus' example, we, we serve by looking to the interests of our spouse. So here's, here's my exhortation to you today. Make it your goal to outserve your spouse. Make it your goal to outserve your spouse. If you're here and you're not married, you can apply this as well to a coworker. You can apply this to your neighbors that you seek to serve them more than they serve you. That's the example that Jesus set for us. But today we're talking specifically about marriage. We're talking about spouses. So this is where this is natural early on in, in our relationship. So I'm going to stereotype here a, a little bit, but let's just say that the, the woman in a relationship, the girlfriend likes antiques. She likes antiquing. She likes going and, and going out for the afternoon and just looking at those things. The guy, I, and again, I'm stereotyping here, but probably most guys left to themselves are thinking, um, I don't necessarily, if I want to look at, you know, old furniture, I'll go to my parents' house. You know, I don't, I don't want to go shopping for that. But because he's interested in her, he's going to say, I just, I, yes, let's go. Let's go only one store. Let's go to three. Let's spend all day doing that. And so we're, we're serving and serving because we want to show, he wants to show her you're important to me and what's important to you is important to me. And if we flip that, there's probably generally speaking more guys are interested in spending all of a Sunday in the fall watching football more so than women. That's not always the case, but so, so maybe let's say that a guy and girl are dating and he says, wow, it's coming into fall. And I, I just, man, there's a big game this afternoon. And she's thinking, I really want to go antiquing. But she says, um, could I watch with you? Could I make you some wings? Could I bring you a Coke? And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. And so they're trying, we try in the beginning to outdo each other because we're trying to, to show each other how important we are to each other. But somewhere along the line, that starts to change. Somewhere along the line, we, we, we realize, it, you know, that starts to, we start to get tired in that. And then we start realizing that the other person isn't serving us as much as they used to. And so now I'm going to have to meet my, my own needs. I'm going to have to take care of myself. And then we start turning from being centered on the other person to now being centered back on ourselves, which is, which is natural. And then what's, what's often the case is we start keeping tally. We start keeping track. Well, while I did this for, for you, now you should be doing this for me, and we keep track in our minds of how well we're doing and, and how much better we're doing than, than our spouse is, is doing. And then what happens is we either stop, we start withholding our, our serving the other person completely, or we still serve them, but we serve them selfishly instead of selflessly, and we, we attach strings to it, and we say, well, I did this for you, you should do something for me in return. I heard, I heard our, our interim elder chair say this last week, so I'm going to quote him on this. He said, marriage is not about 50-50. Marriage is about 100-100. And we have to give it all. And we have to give it all regardless of where the other person happens to be at that moment. We are seeking to outserve our spouse. The natural response is that life is all about me. But the supernatural response is, 
It's not about me. And we need God's help and God, the, the example of Christ to, to die to self. I love this quote from Helen Rowland. She said, marriage is the operation by which a woman's vanity and a man's egotism are extracted without an anesthetic. I mean, marriage is really all about dying to self and learning how to serve the other person selflessly. So, so I want to get really practical here, and I'm going to invite my wife, my marathon partner, to come and join me up here this morning. Uh, we are celebrating 25 years in just two days, and we are going somewhere very, very far away from here. And uh, we're nowhere close to Mitchell and Maddie's 80 years, uh, but we have learned a few things in there, and I think one of the primary things we've learned is that we each have like a primary need that's different than our, our spouse's needs. And so your primary needs, you know, may be different. The details may be different from ours. Um, but I bet that for each of you who are in a married relationship, probably there's something that's kind of vitally important to you that's not as high on the priority list as your spouse. And so we wanted to kind of talk about that here for a little bit this morning. So, so Sherry, what would you say is like the primary way that I can express love to you. Okay. <clears throat> so maybe some of you have heard of this book before. It's called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And he speaks in here about five common ways that um, people give and receive love in all relationships. So my primary way is, um, one of my primary ways is through quality time. So when I know that I have quality time with you um, that has been purposed to have, you know, for us to be together, that's a, a way that, you know, it communicates that you love me through quality time. All right. So can you talk a little bit more about that? What, what does quality time look like for you? Sure. Um, first of all, quality time is definitely no phones. Because phones are a big distractor. That may not have been the case, you know, a long, yeah. long time ago. But it's a key part of it now is, cool. is the phone is a way um, because that can always pull either one of us, anybody in, you know, to get distracted. And so sometimes you will actually, like, take my phone. Yeah, sometimes I will actually so take the phone. Phone. Yeah. Let's put the phone away. Um, but quality time for me means that um, there's lots of people who want your time. Lots of people that you're meeting with. Lots of people that you're talking to. Lots of people that you're connecting to and when when there is quality time set aside just for me it communicates to me that you love me it communicates to me i'm important that um i get some of that time i get to be written in on you know your your agenda for the week or for the day um some of the you know it's kind of changed over the years but um, I've also learned that, and, and I've communicated to you, that it doesn't have to be, you know, a $100 dinner or a, a three-hour outing or something expensive. It could be, depending on, you know, the, the week or the day, it could be, let's go on a walk. Let's have a Saturday morning breakfast. You know, it could be simple things, but it's that I know I have your time and I have your attention. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fully present. Right, fully pl Fully present is yeah. important. Okay. okay, so what about for you? How are ways that I communicate that I love you? 
So, so per, per this book, um, I know one that we share is words of affirmation, which is kind of, that's kind of neat because we kind of do that naturally then for each other. The one that's probably for me is a little bit higher than it is for you would be just the physical affection. And we're keeping this rated G, so it's the physical affection that's unique to a husband and, and a wife. So I know that's important to you too, but it's probably a higher yeah. uh, importance for me. So um, how, what does that communicate to you when that happens and when, when that is a part of our relationship? What does it communicate to you? Um, so I think, I think there's two aspects to that. There's a, there's a physical piece to that that just needs to be fulfilled but there's also a relational piece that probably corresponds in some ways to yours of just me knowing that, you know, you, you want to be with me. You want to be close to me and that you're willing, willing to do that. So I, I need to know that that's available. Yeah. So, um, and I think, I think in thinking about both of these needs, um, the reality is there's a danger like when those needs don't get met. I mean, when we don't meet our spouse's primary need, uh, it puts them in a vulnerable kind of kind of situation. And I know I've, I've used this analogy for you before, and, and you said that it, it speaks to you, is the idea of that there are some needs in my life, there's some needs in, in your life that uh, a lot of different people, our friends, can meet. So there's needs for encouragement and, and different things that we can go to others for. But I think these primary needs, it's like, you know, for, for those, those other needs, like, it's like having lots of restaurants that you could choose from to go to. But for these primary needs, it's like there's, there's one restaurant in town. And if you go to the restaurant and you're hungry and it's closed, it's like, oh, wow, what am, what am I going to do now? And that's, I think, where that vulnerability piece comes in. So we haven't always gotten this right, have we? <clears throat> no. No. <laughs> no. We've learned a lot over yeah. um, the years. And I'm sure you guys that have been married a lot longer than us, you could come up here and you could speak to bumps in the road and ways that you've tried to, you know, fix the, the, the hurdles. Yeah, talk, talk about some of the ways that we've overcome obstacles. So um, for me, early on, you know, the need to, to have time together, the need to have your attention and stuff— um, that was hard because the kids were little, and the kids need your time all the time. And there's always somebody that's pulling at you, pulling at, you know, a need that they have. So we very early committed to having a regular date night, at least once a month. So early on, the way that we overcame that hurdle was, um, you know, it felt hard to have a date night, and then it felt hard to spend money on the babysitter to have a date night. So we did babysitting, babysitting swapping. We met with another couple. We watched their kids one weekend, and then they watched our kids another weekend. Um, I think the one, as the kids are all older now, and we don't need have needs for a babysitter. Um, one of the things that I have we've learned over the years is that it's really important to communicate our needs because mine is different than yours. I should not assume that you're thinking the way I'm thinking. So it's really important to communicate very specifically. I need time together, you know, and, and be clear about, you know, what that is. It might be simple, it might be longer, but that, um, it's important for us to communicate to each other. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that because you saying that because I know there's been times where it's kind of like you, you might think I should know 
you know, by this point that you're needing some time. And because I, I don't have that need, I don't always think about that. But if I just knew I'm, I'm really needing some time over the next day or two here, um, then we'll make it, we'll make it happen. And, I th- and vice versa, right. you know. Um, I think what has been probably most helpful for me over the years is recognizing and coming to peace with, I mean, you're not always going to be available immediately, like when I might want you to be or need you to be or feel like I need you to be. But if I know that it's not just a no, I'm not available, but it's, you know, within the next 24 hours or something, we will find a time, then that gives me kind of a reassurance that um, the need's going to get met. Right. So for both of us, it's communicating. Communication is a really key part of hearing each other and meeting each other's needs. Yeah. Yeah. So communication and then just coming back to the passage here in Philippians is just is the idea of of just then being unselfish. It's like once I know the need, I mean, once I know your need, I still could be selfish. I still could say I don't have time. I don't have energy, whatever. But it's a matter of saying um, I'm going to do everything I can to meet that need because that is that is important uh, to you. So. So, as Paul says here, let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. So, the, the call to us is this, this coming week is make it your goal to outserve your spouse. And, and I, I realize that talking about serving, it kind of sounds unromantic, you know, but, but it is the reality of the marathon. I mean, the marathon is not all about milestones and celebrations, it's about one foot. In, in front of the other. So I would just, I would really encourage you to become a student of your spouse. If you haven't done this already, become a student of your spouse and listen to them and say, what, what is your primary need? And it's probably going to be different than, than your need is. So you just have to become a student. And so what is your need? And then how can I best meet that? And then uh, just fill up the miles with making good memories of meeting each other's needs. Not going to be perfect all the time. That's where we need forgiveness. You've got to be good forgivers to have a good marriage. But, uh, but we're pursuing out-serving our spouse and loving them well and going the distance for the long haul. So, Sherry, I'm going to ask you to close. Why don't you pray, maybe specifically for, for the ladies, and uh, I'll pray for the guys, and we'll close up that way. Father God, we thank you um, that your word gives us guidance and gives us hope and gives us direction for all aspects of life, but specifically for this special relationship. So this morning, I pray for the wives that are here and online and um, just inside of your body. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see our husbands the way that you see them. I pray that you would give us hearts to love our husbands the way that you love them. Give us hearts to honor them and respect them in such a way that it brings encouragement to their souls and to their spirits so that they may fulfill the plans and the purposes that you have placed upon them. Father, I pray for healing. I pray that you would heal the hearts and the minds of wives that are hurting, that are lonely, disillusioned, or confused. We know that marriage is a great tool that you can use as a testimony to the unbelieving world. And so I pray, Father, for 
the young women who are single and hopeful or, or, or hoping to get married, Father, that you would be training them up that they might seek a role model to follow after. And I pray, Father, also for the singles, that you would be using their lives, their gifts, their time, and their talents to honor you and honor the body of Christ, the bride. And um, I just pray for each one of these individuals. Mm-hmm. Oh, Father, I pray for the, for the men who are listening, whether husbands or, or not. Um, I know all of us as human beings have, have a core uh, default to be self-centered and selfish. Sometimes I, it seems to be maybe men have a little bit more of that. But, uh, Father, I pray that each of us would turn to Christ to overcome that selfishness, that we would not try to overcome our selfishness by ourselves, but that we would come to you, Jesus, and ask for your empowerment, ask you, Spirit, for your filling. And I pray that specifically in these marriage relationships that are represented in this room and and online, uh, and those who will listen to this uh, later. Father, I just pray uh, that men would make a decision to, to follow the calling of, of Christ and follow the example of Christ who gave himself up for, for the church. Lord, would you give us the courage, the strength to, um, to die to self and to put others first, to put our spouse first. And then, Lord, would you strengthen marriages so that there can be more marriages like the ones represented here today that are going the distance like uh, Mitchell and Maddie, who went 80 years. Lord, we just want to see that more and more, again, for the glory of Christ, to be a, a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name.